Hey, online family, my name is Kenny. I'm one of the pastors here at The Bridge, and I am so grateful that you've logged on to join us for a new series that we're beginning today. And I'll tell you about that in just a moment, but I would love to just hear, where are you watching this from right now? So many people travel during the week. A lot of you just log on every single Sunday or Monday or Tuesday from your living room, from your car, uh, if you're on a business trip. So let us know, where are you watching from right now? And I want you to know that our team sees you as part of our Bridge family. You might not be here in person with us, but we truly believe that you are connected with us through your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're not a believer, I'm especially glad that you're watching today. Because today, I'm going to share with you some stories of what God is doing in people's lives. I'm going to read to you some stories that, to be real honest, I was in my office reading them, and I was getting so teary-eyed, I just had to stop and walk around a little bit before I sat down with you to share these stories with you because they're so amazing and so touching, and I believe you're going to experience the same thing. More about that in just a moment, but today we begin a brand new series through the book of Colossians called Anchored. Uh, You know, Colossians is only four chapters long. It's not a long book in the Bible at all. So if you hang with us for just a couple of weeks, you will have studied one book of the Bible if you've never done that before. And I do. I encourage you during the week, just read the book of Colossians. Maybe read one chapter a day or one chapter a week. Today, I'm going to cover the first 14 verses with you. Now, I want to tell you up front. Uh, Today's message is kind of an overview of the book itself. I think that's how it was set up by the author. His name was Paul. His name used to be Saul. He hated Christians, persecuted Christians, and then he met Jesus, and that changed everything. So he swapped teams from the losing team to the winning team, and he started following Jesus. Now, let me kind of give you a little bit of background about the book itself, because Paul, of course, played a major part. And here's what's interesting. Paul actually never visited Colossae, and that's why it's named Colossians. It's a book written to a group of Christians, new Christians, in a town or a city called Colossae. Now, here's a picture of where the city is Colossae. Big hill, flat top. Big hill, flat top. You say, why are you saying that twice? I remember in seminary learning what a tell was, T-E-L. It is a city that was devastated, built up by the next generation. That city devastated, built up by the next generation. So as you can see in the picture, it's a big hill, flat top. This is one of the two biblical cities in Turkey that have, has yet to be um, uh, dug up, if you will. It takes time. It takes archaeologists. It takes approval from the city. It takes uh, a lot of money. So I'm excited for the day that they are able to excavate this city of Colossae. Now, what's the setting behind this little book of Colossians? Well, important note as well, Colossians was written about 30 years give or take a couple, after Jesus died and came back to life. Here's why that's important. The book of Colossians was written while there were still thousands of eyewitnesses to what happened to Jesus. This this is not a book that was written in secret, in a closet to where no one could validate what was being said or what was being told. There are names that are put in the book of Colossians. So if it was made up by this author by the name of Paul, someone, many people could have said, whoa, 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 
that's not true. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus never claimed to be that. So Paul, what you're writing is actually inaccurate. This validates the book of Colossians even more that there were eyewitnesses to the life, the death, and the teachings of Jesus Christ, and more particular, the resurrection of Jesus. And that changed everything. So Paul has been on these missionary journeys, but now he's in prison. You can see on the map that he's in Rome. The leader of Rome is Nero. Paul is awaiting his death. He's been falsely accused and he is waiting trial. His days are very limited. And he takes time to listen to a pastor named Epaphras. Now, I don't know if you need any baby names. Maybe, maybe not. It's just an option is, is all I'm saying. Well, Epaphras actually gave his life to Jesus through the teachings of Paul in a place called Ephesus. But Epaphras was actually from Colossae. So in Colossae, Epaphras starts this, this church. He starts telling people about Jesus, talking to them about what he knows about Jesus through Paul. Well, the church at Colossae actually started to experience some trouble along the way. You can see here on the map where Colossae is. This is modern-day Turkey to us, but you can see where it's located, and you can see how far away it is from where Paul is in prison. So Epaphras makes his way to Paul and says, Hey, Paul, man, some amazing things are happening at this church in Colossae, so let me tell you some stories, but also let me get your help on how to, how to help these young believers with some things that they're struggling with. And Paul was happy to write the book of Colossians. Going, oh man, oh absolutely. Let me help, let me help, let me help. This brings into why we chose as a team the name Anchored for the book of Colossians. But first, let me tell you a little bit of a story. Um, there's a place that my family have been to a couple of times in Tennessee. And this place uh, is owned by church members. And they've just allowed us, hey, listen, if you ever go to Alabama to see family and you want to zip up to Tennessee, though I hate the orange, do you live in Tennessee? I'm a Roll Tide fan. I'm so sorry. But in going to Tennessee, this family has a very nice boat that they just allow us to go out and water ski. And it's just a lot of fun as a family. We've been able to do that like two or three different times. And it's a great, great break for my family. There's this one particular place they told us about. Now, if you want to get in the boat and you can go around this corner, there's this little area and there's a cliff that you can actually jump off of. And people love doing that. It can be kind of dangerous because you want to make a good jump. And I thought, all right, so let me get this right. You climb up this cliff and you may or may not make it. Yeah, that's what we're saying. Dude, we're in. That sounds like a lot of fun for me and my kids. Well, here's the deal. When you go to this, this area, there's like a little cove. And in that cove, you go to the front of the boat, open up the front of the boat, and you pull out this, an anchor. This is actually the size of the anchor that is used or that we use from the boat. And here's what I learned the very first time we were there, though. You anchor down, then you can swim around, you can float around, or you can go jump off the cliff and risk your life, which my wife absolutely loves. But you throw the anchor down, and this is actually the size rope that's on the anchor itself. Now, here's what's fascinating. After a period of time, I realized the first time, oh, wait, 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 we need to crank the boat back up because we've drifted away. We've drifted too far. 
two things were happening that I didn't realize were happening because we're talking, we're having fun, we're jumping in, we're getting back in the boat. Two things were happening. Number one, the wind was pushing us. And number two, the current was taking us. The wind was pushing us and the current was taking us. And so we would have to, hey, hey, pull, pull the anchor back up a little bit. Let me crank back up and get a little bit closer to where we want to be. Now, why would I tell you that story? I tell you that story simply because this is what was happening in the church of Colossae. Two things were happening that were causing these young believers to possibly drift away or pull them away from Jesus Christ. Uh, let me tell you about those two things real briefly. Number one, there was something called Gnosticism, which would be important of a word that's used by Paul in just a moment. But Gnosticism was one of the, the currents of the day, and it taught this, that there's a secret knowledge you can have. If you're, if you're elite enough, if you're good enough, that you can know something that, that other Christians don't know. And we've got it. We're the elite. We're the upper class. We have a special teaching for you that it gives you just an extra knowledge and it makes you know God more. Now, listen, I'm telling you right now, if you think that current only existed 2000 years ago, that current is around you 24 seven right now. It sounds like Jesus. As a matter of fact, his name is involved, but it's not enough with Jesus. You, you, you need extra knowledge. And guess what? I have it. I have a secret knowledge that you just need more than what the Bible talks about Jesus. This was happening in their day. Paul wrote Colossians to address that current. But there was also a, a wind, if you will, that was also pushing these young new believers away from Jesus. And that was this. People were coming along saying, oh, well, it's good to love Jesus. But if you want him to love you more, then you need to do this and do this and do this and do this. Uh, he just likes people who does extra for him. And it was, it was legalism is what it was called. So you have this current that was pulling these new believers away and this wind of religion that was pulling them away, just like it was for us in Tennessee. Now, here's what we want to do. We want to talk about an anchor that's a little better and stronger and bigger than this anchor. My wife and I, 15 year anniversary, we had saved up all of our miles. Uh, we wanted to go to Hawaii. We'd never been to Hawaii, 15 year anniversary. So for about, no kidding, about 10 years, we saved up miles. We put some money away. We sold four or five of our pets. Um, you, you know how it goes. So anyway, we, we were able to go. While we were there, we wanted to go to Pearl Harbor. If you've never been there, oh, it is staggering. What an amazing experience to go to Pearl Harbor. If you know anything about Pearl Harbor, uh, the USS Arizona is sunk there. And you can walk and see and hear and read all about what happened there with the USS Arizona. When you go to Pearl Harbor, on your way out and also on your way in on the side, you can actually see an anchor that they pulled up from the USS Arizona. It's a little different than the anchor we were using in Tennessee. This anchor is solid. It's massive. It's huge. It's heavy. Now, if there was one theme 
that I could tell you what Colossians was all about and to use this image of the USS Arizona anchor as a picture, it would be this. Jesus alone. That's what Colossians is all about. Not Jesus plus a secret info that you can get through a special teaching. Not Jesus plus rules and rituals that you need to add to your life for more grace or to get into heaven, be a little bit better. No, 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 no. It's Jesus alone. That is why Paul wrote Colossians. He is the anchor. He's enough. He is sufficient. He does not move. He does not drift. And when your faith is in Jesus alone, your faith gets strong. Your faith becomes weighty. Your faith understands. There may be a current up here. There may be winds that blow. But my faith is solid and secure in an anchor that will not move. And it's Jesus alone. That is what Colossians is all about. So, with that being said, I want to jump right into it, if you don't mind. We're going to jump into verse 3 of Colossians. If you have your Bible, if you have a pen, I encourage you to take some notes and read along with us. Here's what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul said, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in what? Here's the anchor. Your faith in Jesus Christ, and this is interesting, and of the love you have for all God's people. Not some of God's people. I've been in ministry a long time. Some people are hard to love. Can we, can, is that okay? Can I get an amen in the chat? When, just, just for me, if you don't mind. Hey, listen, some of you might want to take, hey, yeah, Kenny, you're hard to love too. I completely agree. There are no perfect people allowed. And what Paul is saying at the very top of this is, man, you are secure in the anchor of Jesus alone with your faith. And I love that about you. And it's demonstrated that how you love all people. They are welcomed. You embrace them. You encourage them. And it's demonstrated your love for Jesus by how you love other people. And he goes on to say this in verse 5. The faith and love, this faith and love, that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you already heard in the true message of the gospel, not the ones that you're hearing out there, extra knowledge, as there's a little secret to the gospel. No, no, no. The true message of the gospel that has come to you. In other words, you have something that's important. You have this eternal vision, this eternal hope to go, hey, one day we're going to see this anchor named Jesus Christ face to face, and we're going to live for that day. So we're going to love him, and we're going to love people. Hey, listen, I love this about our church family, Bridge. We want to make it really hard for people to go to hell. We want to do all we can to make heaven more crowded and hell more empty by how we love people, by how we share with them what somebody shared with us about the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on, and here's what he says in verse 6. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it, and truly understood God's grace. You go, man, the gospel's been repeated here a couple of times. It must be important. It is important. What is the gospel? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
And whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world would be saved through him. That is the simplicity of the gospel. And what Paul says later on is any other additional information to the true gospel is hollow teaching. In other words, it will make you drift away from the simplicity of your relationship with Jesus. As we move into verse 9, I love what he says here, and it's a great point of application for us in our spiritual journey with Jesus. Here's what he says. So for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. How do you pray for people? Have you ever asked that question? I have. How do I pray for people? He's about to give you a great way to pray for your husband, your spouse, your kids, your loved one, your friends, your co-workers. I love how to pray for people here. And what I'm calling this is an anchored prayer. This is an anchored prayer that you can lift up for people. Here's what it says in verse 9. He starts, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now let me stop. I want you to look at this verse. You see the word knowledge? Remember one of the currents that was wanting to pull these individuals, these new believers away? It was called Gnosticism, a secret knowledge. That word in Greek is intellectual. There's something you should know. There is a second word in Greek that is an experiential knowledge. I don't know it because I read it or somebody told me. I know it because I've experienced it. This is the word Paul just used. It's a play against what was happening in the current of the day. Paul is saying, listen, this isn't about something you need to know here, though that is very important, and he brings that up later. He goes, but we need to start with, I want you to, anchored prayer, know God. That's number one. I want you to know God, not just with information. I want you to experience Him. I want you to have a heart that has been set on fire with him. Why? Because the more you know him, the more you'll love him. The more you know him, the more you'll know how he wants you to live. And you'll see what it says is that you will know his will. (laughs) Have you ever asked this question? God, what is your will? God, what do you want? God, what do you desire? The more you know him, the more you'll know what he desires. When it comes to God, many times we make it a mystery of, God, what's your will? What, what, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Here's what I would say. The more you know him, the easier it will be in life to go, God would want that. God would not want that. God would want that. The greater the intimacy, the clearer the voice. The greater the intimacy, the clearer the voice. The second thing that Paul says, not only... Uh, A great prayer is, I want you to know God. Here's the second thing that he says in verse 10. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. What a great prayer for the people we love. Not only that you would know Him, but that you would please Him. Now, you're pleasing Him, this is important, has nothing to do with His love for you. God loves everyone unconditionally. But not everyone pleases him. We don't please him so that he will love us. That's what other gods do. Our God has made it super clear. 
I love you, period. I love you. But it doesn't mean he's always pleased with us. And Paul is saying right here, not only do I want you to know him, there is a way. It's possible for you to live a certain way that makes him smile. Isn't that what you want? <laughs> it's what I want. And I don't always get that right. But I can always come back because I know he loves me to go, God, let me, let me start it. Let me, okay, let me know you a little bit more. I want to please you with my life. That is a great anchored prayer. Now Paul goes into the anchored life. We have the anchored prayer, but what does an anchored life actually look like when you're anchored in Christ alone? Here's what he says in verse 10. He says, bearing fruit in every good work. An anchored life is a fruitful life. That is the way you live your life. People's lives are changed in your wake. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to read to you a story that was actually read at our baptism party that we had last week. I love this story. It's from Fernando Olivares. And I want you to listen to the fruit, not only of his life after giving his life to Jesus, but the fruit of someone else that brought him to this point. Listen to the story. Before I met Jesus, I felt lost in my spiritual journey. But coming to the bridge helped me connect spiritually. It was a simple invitation from my now wife that started it all. The fruit of her life now has Fernando getting baptized. It was a slow process to get me where I am now. The last message series, You're Not the Boss of Me, about anxiety, helped me to basically let go of my worries and self-doubt and anxiety. And on that Sunday, April the 11th, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I can finally let go of everything and be free. Here comes the fruit of his life. For me to be the spiritual leader. Someone who was completely lost spiritually now understands he's a spiritual leader of my family. I must be able to learn to let go and follow Jesus' path. I can't wait to see what the future holds for our family. Paul would say, you want to know what an anchored life looks like? That there's fruit, not perfection, but that there's this fruit of an individual. The second thing that Paul shares with us of an anchored life, not only is it fruitful, but it's also a growing life. Colossians 1.10, he says, growing in the knowledge of God. I want to read Erica's story to you as well. She was baptized last week in here. Watch this of her growth in the knowledge of God. Before Jesus, I was struggling with running on self-will. I lived a life of selfishness and self-seeking. I was always searching for my purpose, but I could never live up to my own standards. I could not connect with people on a deep level. I was drowning out in feelings of loneliness and inadequacy. In fact, I could not deal with life on life's terms. I did everything I could to hide the misery that was living inside of me. A little over four years ago, I was on the verge of divorce and losing my family. I was completely dead inside. I finally put down the bottle and asked for help. Slowly, the fog began to lift, and I was introduced to God through my recovery program. Over the next few years, my relationship with God grew stronger and stronger. You see that, how the growth takes place? I started to wonder how Jesus fit into my life and my spirituality. And about a month ago, I went on a jog. It was Sunday afternoon. 
I began reflecting on the sermon I heard that day at the bridge. I realized that I had been blocking myself from Jesus and not accepting his precious gift. When I got home, I told my husband and daughter that I decided to let go and follow Jesus completely. It was like waving a white flag. (laughs) Immediately, I felt the turmoil and the struggle within my life begin to fade away. I realize now that my journey with Jesus began long before I surrendered myself to Him. He was there all along. Jesus has taught me. Isn't that what Paul just said? That you grow in the knowledge of God. This is exactly what she says. Jesus has taught me how to love and serve others. He has given my life meaning. His purpose for me is very simple. I'm here to love Him and to love others. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing me and never giving up on me. (laughs) Paul says, you want to know what an anchored life looks like? It's a fruitful life. Other people are coming to Jesus because of you. And it's also a life that is growing in the knowledge of God and the role he plays in your life. Paul mentions the third thing of an anchored life, and it's a life that's being strengthened. I love what he says in Colossians 1 verse 11 being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience. It's not growing and being strengthened in your own power. It's that you're being strengthened in His power. I want to read Tony Pinty's story to you. For me, growing up in a Catholic family was basically going through the motions in church. I have always believed there was a God but I never really believed he worked for me. I always questioned his presence for me when I went through tough times, and it just made me feel so down and out. It was a long journey to get where I am now. Since being introduced to the bridge, I have learned more about Jesus than I ever have before. I accepted Jesus after a service one Sunday at the bridge, and now it's not just going through the motions anymore. It's learning and connecting with God and having fun along the way while listening to a great band and great singers with great worship songs. And since renewing my faith, I have since kicked, listen to this, 30 years of drinking and almost seven months being completely sober. How amazing is that? No meetings, no counseling, just the power of God and the support of family and my closest friends. Listen to this. To Jesus, the anchor, to Jesus, I would like to say thank you for giving me hope and strength and knowing I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Isn't that what Paul just said? An anchored life is one that finds strength in Jesus. The last thing that Paul mentions for an anchored life is that this life is also a thankful life. Here's what he says in verse 12. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of life. There's a thankfulness about our life. This is what Nicole's story said. I didn't grow up in a religious household at all. When I was 19, I got a job at a bar and a restaurant, and I started drinking a lot. Life became one big party. 
and I couldn't stop. Later on in my life, I met someone, and I remember one night us talking about God, and we got into an argument. And the argument was because I just couldn't understand how God could still love me, though I had never done anything to show my love to Him. Truth is, I was tired. I was tired of the cycle. I was tired of hurting my family. I was tired of hurting myself. And this friend invited me to the bridge, and I haven't been the same since. Shortly after coming to the bridge, I asked Jesus to change my life, to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is now my personal Savior and my Lord, and He has saved my life. I was able to quit drinking not on my own, but because of Him. And as of today, I've been sober for 312 days. Her next words, I'm so thankful to Jesus. Isn't that what Paul said? What is an anchored life? It's a thankful life. It's a life that understands. It's not additional information that will change my life. It's a life that understands it's Him. It's Jesus alone, not Jesus plus anything else, not Jesus plus more rules, not Jesus plus white knuckling it, not Jesus plus the secret information that this other teacher has given me. It's Jesus in this book, in this ancient text alone that changes my life. And I'll have a faith that is a solid chain to him. So let the currents come. Let the winds blow, and I might drift here and there, but I know my anchor is in Jesus alone. And I love how Paul wraps up this session. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of of sins. What is the gospel about? This is the gospel. The gospel is about God in his love for the alcoholic, in his love for the one who feels lost and abandoned, in his love for the one who is so tired of this life. He reaches down, rescues them from the dominion of darkness and he places them into the kingdom of the son he loves. And to that person, he gives them the forgiveness of sins. You know what forgiveness means? No more. No more. There's no more record. There's no more wrong. It's a new start. It's a new day. It is a fresh start and a fresh beginning. And God made a promise. I will never bring up your wrongs against you again. Ever, ever. You are mine. How do I know you're mine? Because you are no longer in the kingdom of darkness. You are in the kingdom of my son, whom I love. And if I love him, I love you as well. Because you are now my son, or you are my daughter, and you are completely free. Be anchored to him and him alone. Because he's the only one who can do that for you. And my question would be, 
Has that ever happened to you? I'm not talking about this. You grew up in church. I don't care if it was Catholic church, Baptist church, Pentecostal church, Baptocostal. You don't even know what it was. That's not the question. The question is, like these individuals, have you ever been rescued from the dominion of darkness? And you know, you know God placed you into his kingdom. If that has never happened to you, I want to introduce you to Jesus today and that you would experience, not know, but you would experience the salvation that he has for you. Would you pray with me? And if that's you, just tell him right where you are. Jesus, I want you to be my anchor. I'm surrendering everything to you. I acknowledge I need you. You know everything about me and I believe you still love me. But I need rescuing today from the dominion of darkness. And I want your son in my life. So the best way I know how, I say yes to you. Thank you for coming into my life and changing me today. Thank you for the forgiveness of all my sins. Thank you for a new start. Just tell him, thank you for loving me where I am today. Thank you for making me completely new. In your name I pray, amen.